the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning to you. It's Tuesday. That means Elizabeth Otolaro is here with me today. The Bible guys will be around at about 7 o'clock. And uh, at 6.35, a special guest today, and uh, that's going to be Dinesh D'Souza. He will join us to talk about his new movie, Trump Card, which is based on his book that we had on uh, had him on a couple of months ago to talk about uh, the United States of Socialism. So uh, we'll be talking to Dinesh sometime around 6.35. We'll give him a call. Something big happened that changed the way we buy things in 1982. This day in history, today, in 1982, this happened. Any idea what it was, Elizabeth? (laughs) No clue. All right. (laughs) If I say Tylenol, will that spur your memory? Oh, we're we talking about the Tylenol scare where they started, you know, locking everything down and sealing everything up because well, of the poisonous guy. Yeah, that happened in Chicago. They found uh, six containers of uh, Tylenol yeah. pills that had been laced with cyanide. It killed six people. And since that time... When you buy your medicines, they're uh, sealed differently now than they used to be. (laughs) Of course, uh, most things that you buy, they have some kind of plastic thing over on the top, and there's something somewhere that says if that's broken, you should not ingest it. But they never caught the person who poisoned those pills. That's right. And to my knowledge, it, there were a couple of copycat things very shortly after that, yes, very minor, there were. and nothing else ever. Nothing yeah. else like that ever. Yeah, never n- didn't happen because, you know, I will say this much, we, re- we reacted to it. It makes it very difficult to do it. Now, the reason these people did what they did was that they were, uh, of course, you know, telling uh, the different companies we have poisoned uh, this or that and said, uh, we'll tell you which ones we did if you'll give us X amount of dollars. That's what, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what it was all about. It was about, it always comes down to money. That's what it always comes down to. Uh, Mary McFarlane was poisoned. A person by the name of uh, Stanley, uh, who was it, Uh, Teresa Adams, uh, who was uh, taking uh, the 
the pills for stress-induced headaches, uh, took the capsules from the open Tylenol bottle that was sitting on their counter. They were poisoned. Uh, the last person that was poisoned was a flight attendant, Paula Prince. She bought the capsules today. She took them. She was dead by October 1st. So, uh, boy, I remember how big that was. That that it was. that that was huge. It was it was huge. I was in the military at the time. I remember all the BXs clearing Tylenol products off of their shelves at that time. It was not good. It was not now, good. Now adults everywhere have no way of opening medicine bottles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, kind of the way it is to now. Get into. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're absolutely right. I had a little bit of problem this morning. I take, I take, uh, you know, like Nexium, but I take the g- g- generic that that Walmart uh, offers. And you know, you got to line up the arrow with of the top of the uh, yes. of the the lid with the side where it's got the little opening thing and I was lining it up and I still couldn't close the doggone thing. I finally had to close it on the side that it went in the the slit and then pushed on the side that didn't and it clicked into place. So yeah, that was uh, thanks. Why is it? Why is it so challenging? It really is at times. <laughs> yeah. While I'm talking about that, let me talk about one other thing before we get into the issues of the day. Rumors of tainted, poisoned, or otherwise murderous Halloween candy handed out to unsuspecting youngsters are as much of a part of the Halloween tradition now as costumes and sing-song pleas for sweets. Here's how the myth goes. No kid is safe on October 31st because psychotic murderers may hand out tainted treats to trick-or-treating children. It started uh, with uh, the uh, the straws that had the candy in them. Yes. And uh, they were told that that, that had, been, uh, had been poisoned. Then we moved on to putting... Uh, razor blades in apples and uh, other things in candy and for years in the 90s i know for a fact in the 90s people would take their candy to the hospitals and they would x-ray it do you remember doing that i believe so i think you can still do that if you ask i understand that some people do of course, yeah. the trick-or-treating overall has died out significantly over this last handful of years. And this year, uh, unless you want to install a six-foot chute in front of your door, and then I don't think there are going to be any trick-or-treaters on the street. Yeah, that, and I find that bad. I mean, it's seriously, sad. why can't it's the sad. kids, if masks protect you, then why <laughs> can't the kids wear a mask and go trick-or-treating? I'm just saying, a picture of it. If if if, if we got to do that, then let's let them wear a mask and go trick or treating. If you can go to a drive-through restaurant and reach out to the window and have them hand you and you give them your credit card, then that should work. Trick or treating is no different. Well, and give you food. They're That's what I'm your saying. You're, you're you know, hand to hand, passing back and forth at the drive-through window. You're doing it at the grocery store. You do it at the bank window. Why can't you go to someone's door and do trick or treating? 
this whole COVID thing is really, really becoming ridiculously out of hand. So bottom line, in 64, a New York woman named Helen Piffel was arrested for hanging, uh, hand, handing out things like ant poison and dog biscuits to kids. When questioned, the housewife said that she was joking that, that she gave the items to kids she felt were too old to be trick-or-treating. Though no children were ever poisoned during the incident, law enforcement didn't find her actions p- funny. <laughs> really? <laughs> I can only imagine. Now, the most infamous Halloween poisoning took place on October 31st, 1974. That's when a Texas man named Ronald O'Brien gave cyanide-laced pixie sticks to five children, including his son. The other children never ate the candy, but his eight-year-old son Timmy did and died soon after. Though nobody saw... His own son. Yeah. Although they never saw O'Brien put the cyanide into candy, investigators learned that O'Brien had recently taken life insurance policies out on all of his children. He was convicted of murder and executed by lethal injection in 1984, though it's been decades since the crime. The, quote, Candyman murder still looms large in the memories of many parents on Halloween. Just let you know, yeah, he didn't go out to kill a whole lot of people. He went out to kill his son. That was he. He poisoned. He he, chal- he he looked to p- poison the other kids to, you know, kind of defray suspicion away from him. Because if it had only Gosh. been his son, first person they would have looked at was the family to see <laughs> did somebody give the kids something that they shouldn't have. So this day back in '82, cyanide was uh, was poisoned, and that changed the way that we bought medicines and other items now over the counter, as well as uh, back in the 80s, starting in the 80s and running through the 90s and even into the 2000s, maybe even today, as Elizabeth said, they still evidently will x-ray candy uh, at hospitals. The reason they do that is because of uh, urban myths that have grown up around that candy man back in uh, the 60s. So just know that your kid's candy is pretty well safe. Now, I will be honest. If somebody gives or gave my kids something that was homemade and it wasn't wrapped correctly, nah. my kids didn't need it. Just, no, just that's only reasonable. Uh, too, many pot, too many potheads out there that I personally <laughs> knew that would have thought it was funny to give kids, uh, you know, brownie-laced, you know, uh, with marijuana. And even today, now that you can buy ingestibles like that, you got to kind of pay attention to what would be in their bag. So anyway, just kind of go through the stuff and, and make sure uh, that you know, uh, it's good good stuff. When, when you were young, did you trick-or-treat in your neighborhood? Oh we did. There were five or six what streets, time? but we five, knew. Only five almost, or six streets? That's all you did? Well, our neighborhood was a small neighborhood, but we knew everybody. We knew probably uh, maybe only one or two houses did we not know who the people were. We didn't go to, you know, we went to school with them. We knew their families. We went to church with these people. 
these days, you don't know who your neighbors are, much less who else you're going to see if you go out, you know, randomly going up and down streets to trick or treat. Okay, now, Elizabeth, I'm going to freak you out, all right? When I was a kid (laughs) and went trick or treating, because at that time, nobody thought anybody would ever poison a kid, all right? Or or go after them. we started as soon as we got home all right <laughs> i got my pillowcase and at, <laughs> at five o'clock is typically the time most people were getting home typically from work so we started one of those <laughs> yeah we started we started at five o'clock and i finished on halloween night at nine thirty. good grief you went through the whole town uh, we went I'm going to say the diameter of the area around our house, three miles, maybe more. I could probably, I could go back to (laughs) to Hessville and drive it, but we would hit every house we could. My, my take on Halloween night would run out sometime near Easter of next year. There you go. There you go. That was the next time you got a lot of candy, by the way. You know, back then, every house, pretty much, you know, nowadays, even when there is trick-or-treating, it's not everyone, you know, and half the neighborhood has their lights turned out. And, of course, this year, who knows? We're big on Halloween at our house. We're putting out all our decorations. Hopefully, the kids can enjoy, even if they're not going going to be allowed to trick-or-treat, maybe they can enjoy some of the decorations and so forth, but... Uh, we'll be prepared to do a little trick-or-treating that night. I think maybe I'm going to, depending on the weather, would like to sit out on the porch. Maybe it'll make it a little less That's what uh, I do. intimidating. I, I sit out by the garage door. I leave the garage door open yeah. and the garage light on because yeah. my, my house faces the street, but the street is three-quarters of an acre in front of my house. So you come up the, the side street, and then we've got our uh, – our uh, driveway right there and you walk up to the house so yeah i sit out with a big bucket of candy i don't reach in and take the candy out i extend the bucket for the kids to pull as much out as they can with their hand yes (laughs) all right you know i do i'm selective it depends on the age of the (laughs) trick-or-treater oh are you so we, get, you, we used to get a little crew of a little older kids, you know, a little late in the evening, and uh, we would leave the window, you know, the lights on for a little while. But we'd get this crew of little older kids, and Jack was the one who started giving out one at a time. He closes his hand and sticks it over the bucket. You know, you can't tell exactly, and then they start looking in the sack. <laughs> Heidi, what what did and you want to add? It. So you know uh, how some houses like really decorate uh, for Halloween and they end up looking kind of like haunted houses? Yeah. Well, I was thinking that for this year, you know, with COVID and everything. Put a big mask over it. I was about to say, with a, <laughs> instead of a, a haunted house, they could dress up like a like it's a haunted hospital, and you could have like the parents in hazmat suits and just giving out candy. Giving out candy that way. <laughs> Maybe have yeah, like an evil looking idea. nurse or something like that. Yeah, kind of works if you want to to go with the times that we live in now. The the fear that we live in now about all of this. Uh, luckily. It's not Halloween, and so tonight everybody will sit in front of their TVs and watch the debate, which we'll talk about when we come back. Let's take our break, and then we'll be back. Elizabeth is with us, and she'll be with us this first hour. Then we'll have the Bible guys. Then we'll have Elizabeth back. But at 635, Dinesh D'Souza.
is our special guest to talk about his new movie, Trump Card. All right, so uh, t- uh, tonight at 8 o'clock, Joe Biden, my former vice president, and uh, Donald Trump uh, will uh, square off in the first presidential debate. Uh, the Mount Mon- Monmouth University poll says about 64 or upwards of 70% of voters will watch this first, devote, uh, v- first debate but most are saying that it wouldn't change their mind. I don't believe that for a moment. Uh, if one of them really blew it, it would change votes uh, significantly. And I think that we would expect that that would be the case. Uh, the Monmouth, I, I look at their their polling and they poll typically more Democrats than they do Republicans, which t- tends to tip it to the left a little bit are saying that uh that the public is evenly split on uh the uh nomination of a uh, person to replace uh the supreme court justice uh you know that just passed away and uh i you know that tells me if that, if that's the way we're split in this country, then sadly, 50%, and that's the side, the side that doesn't think that the president should be able to name a nominee for the Supreme Court in his last year of being president, sadly, they are completely erroneous and ignorant of the Constitution. That really, really bothers me. What? How do you feel about that, uh, Elizabeth? Is she still with us, Elizabeth? You still there? Sorry. Oh, mute button works really well. Okay. <laughs> uh, that we can elect a president by a duly, you know, a, a perfectly fine election that they just didn't care for the results, and that you know arbitrarily. Okay, we elect a president. He's not going to serve for four years. He only gets to serve for an arbitrary period of time determined by outside circumstances. You don't get to serve four years. At some point, we're just going to cut it off and say, oh, election's coming. Something important happened. In this case, the death of a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, Ruth Bader didn't you know, it could be other things. What if the Democrats had decided that once you uh, once we vote you in the House and we impeach you in the House, then you can't. And they've pretty much done that anyway. You know, you, you're ineffective from there on. You don't serve anymore. This is so contrary to everything. We, the people controlling our electoral processes. And I'm just really upset with the Democrats who control one half of one third of our government. And they're running the whole show. The tail is wagging the dog. I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I don't understand that people do not understand that the way this works is the president nominates and then the Senate advises and consents. Now, that doesn't mean the they must <laughs> consent, that they must confirm. It just means that they advise the president basically of what they're going to do and uh, they go from there. If the president and the the Senate are basically the same party. It's not going to be a big deal. But if the president and the Senate are opposite parties, 
it's going to be a it big deal. Happen. All and right. it doesn't happen. And it hasn't right? it happened happen. in the past many, 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 many times. But we'll talk and about Chris, it further. We'll talk about it at yeah. 6 p.m. tonight. Just so everybody you know, we're going to deal with this. And we're going to deal with the spurious attacks going on from the left against Amy. That's coming up. All right, back with you. 25 minutes to 7. Elizabeth is with me, but our special guest joins us now got a new movie out called trump card i've been talking about it here on uh uh, the station and uh it's based on his book that we had him on uh, a few months ago to talk about the united states of socialism and it you know i never in my wildest imaginings at the age i am at 67 now did i ever think that this country would fall uh, head over heels uh, in love with uh, with socialism or the promises of socialism. We've always been smarter than that. Now we're seeing, I think, because of the way of our public su- school system and our public universities are, people who have been misled in their youth to believe that socialism works. And Dinesh D'Souza has been out writing about it, making movies about it now, to say, hey, wake up and pay attention again. Dinesh, thanks for joining us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Hey, it's my pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yeah, talk about Trump card. Uh, You know, picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, This movie is about uh, a little over an hour and a half long. Hopefully people will watch this and understand the points you made in your book. Well... All my earlier films I have put in the theater, and we, of course, plan to do the same with this one, but there are places where theaters are still closed. Mm -hmm. So we're going to video on demand, which means that the movie is everywhere. It'll be all over the place, and, of course, it's on the Salem platform. That's right. Uh, And um, the great thing about it is anyone can watch it at home on any device. And uh, it tells a riveting story. I mean, it's, this, is not, this movie is a little bit less historical than my earlier movies. Uh, it's all about what's happening now in the country. Of course, socialism has tr- been tried and failed in 25 countries. Um, and so its record is terrible. Uh, the left is trying to resuscitate socialism by saying that they have kind of a new type of socialism. Sure. It's not authoritarian. It's democratic socialism. It's not based on, you know, Mao or Lenin. It's based on Scandinavia. Uh, and that their socialism is somehow now married to identity politics. Uh, I call it identity socialism. So it's a very intriguing sort of new hybrid that we have. It's being pushed. It's come to the mainstream, as you say, of the Democratic Party. And I think Trump is the kind of leading man in the campaign to defeat it. By the way, if you go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick show, you'll find the link to see uh, Dinesh's movie. It's right there. It's important that you watch it. it. It's not real expensive. Gather your kids around it. Those are 18 years of age and older, especially, and have them watch it and pay attention to it. Uh, by the way, I, I got to ask, being a, a, a Hoosier, I grew up in Indiana. You bring Eugene Debs up by any chance? For sure. I mean, Debs was, <laughs> you know, there have been prominent socialists before Debs, Norman Thomas. But it's, I think it's fair to say that socialism has not been in the American mainstream. No. 
And now it is, not just, by the way, because of leading Democrats identifying with socialism, but also because of the socialists in the media, in academia, and in Hollywood. So the three big sort of megaphones of our culture are all throbbing with kind of socialist excitement uh, to move America away from free market capitalism and towards state control of the economy. Yeah, to talk about how this has been going on for a long time, I, I just happened to to put up the uh, the Turner Classic Movie Channel, TMC. I put it up, and uh, they were showing a movie yesterday, and I, I can't remember the name of it. It was from 1937, but here's the synopsis for you, Dinesh. You're going to love this. A farmer decides to turn his farm into a commune. Uh, it was during the Dust Bowl, and all the people are working together, and they run into a drought. Uh, the farming uh, fields are failing. And so working together, they, they dig a trench from the river on the top of the ridge down the side of the mountain, build a little bridge like over this little chasm that they had, and run the water from the river to the... Uh, uh, the field and at the end as it says the end uh, they bring up a picture and it's a picture of a plow with a person's hand on it boy that sounds too much like socialism and communism to me well you know in a sense um i'm a little bit more uh, forgiving of people who champion socialism in the immediate aftermath of the depression because uh, once the economy crashed in 1929, there were people who thought capitalism had failed, and there were oh, some yeah. idealistic people at that time who didn't know that much about Stalin. They didn't know that much about the, you know, what the subsequent failures of socialism. But today, when we've actually seen the record, uh, not just a record of economic failure, but a record of you know, 100 million human casualties, it's a little bit ridiculous to be talking about socialism and bringing it back. It's almost like if someone were to say, well, you know, slavery was a really good idea, but the implementation everywhere it was tried was, was poor. So well, we have a new form of slavery. Um, modified from the past, so we think it's going to work this time. I mean, this would be insane. Uh, and yet, this is exactly what people do say about socialism. So, you know, we bring it to the big screen. Uh, the movie is very entertaining. It's, it's amusing, but it's also horrifying and inspiring. Um, a book is an argument. My book, United States of Socialism, has the case against it. It has all the references. Uh, but this movie is quite an experience. And like you say, it's really fun to watch with the family. Um, it's eye-opening and it couldn't be more timely. Yeah, for home uh, uh, home educating parents, uh, which a lot of parents are doing now because they've been forced to do it, uh, this would be a great uh, historical lesson to give to your uh, to your children. Elizabeth uh, is with us as well. Elizabeth, you got questions for Dinesh? Well, yes. Good morning, sir. Thank you for being with us. Um, you're talking about new socialism. You know, what's new about it other than the words that they're using, which they're trying to change the meaning of? What's new about it? It's the same old stuff, right? Well, here's one thing that, that actually is new, and in some ways it makes 
this socialism even worse. Marx was a great divider. Uh, Marx said that, that people never give up power voluntarily, so you have to divide society. Uh, and he divided society basically between the rich and the poor. It was a class divide. But you notice that the democratic left in this country today tries to divide society not just that way, but many other ways. Not just rich against poor, but black against white, male against female, straight against gay, legal against mm-hmm. illegal. So they are kind of one-upping marks. They're dividing society many different ways. And, and what is their goal? To, to create a majority coalition of oppressed victims. That's how they hope to win the election. That's how they hope to create, to get an electoral majority. How well are they succeeding, Dinesh? I think not well. Uh, now, they have tremendous forces at their command, uh, including the media. Uh, the media really here is in cahoots with the Democratic left in pushing this ideological agenda. So in that sense, we don't really have a media in this country, because when you think of a media or a free press, you think of a group of people who are detached from power, committed to no particular party, critically assessing the situation and giving people valuable information. Well, the New York Times doesn't do that. CNN doesn't do that. So uh, we have a media that is sort of part of one camp and not the other. Um, uh, so the socialists have, have tremendous power. They have tremendous power in the culture. They're able to bully people to say what they want them to say, to get people fired or taken off digital platforms for saying the wrong thing. All that being said, I think they've overplayed their hand. They've shown that they're not committed to law and order. They certainly don't know how to rebuild the economy. Uh, And so I think Trump has an excellent chance going into November. All right. So Trump card. I mean, uh, you're playing on the president's name here and uh, he is the Trump card as far as this his election is concerned. Why is he so important right now in the history of this country? Well, in the movie, we treat Trump in two separate capacities. Yes, he is sort of the political leader in the fight against socialism. But we often forget that what was Trump for most of his career before he entered politics? Well, he was the classic capitalist. He was the classic builder. I mean, contrast Trump putting buildings up here and there and rebuilding the rink in New York. A lot. Contrast him with these Black Lives Matter and Antifa guys. What do they do? They smash windows. They pull things down. They knock down monuments. So that's what socialism in a nutshell is. It's ultimately a philosophy of chaos and destruction to be contrasted with what capitalism is, which is a philosophy of creativity, innovation, building new things, uh, and ultimately civilization itself. Do you think that'll play out tonight in the debate? Well, Biden, I think, is coming in with kind of low expectations. I mean, it's funny to watch a presidential candidate being hailed for things like, you know, wow, he completed a sentence. Wow, he used a subject and a verb. You know, so I think think in a sense, people will be amazed if Biden even has it all together. I'm expecting there to be a real debate, but, you know, I wouldn't want to get in the ring against Trump. No, I I wouldn't either. Elizabeth, question? I just I I so appreciate your deep dives into history. I've learned so much, and I'm sure that most of this I never heard of before. Can you speak a little to how today's things that are going on, the circumstances, mirror what happened with the Bolsheviks? It seems so 
identical. Well, the Bolsheviks name. were a, a revolutionary faction that um, used violence to take power. And, um, you know, the, we're seeing a little bit of that in this country, I think for the first time in a very long time. When you look at the stuff that's going on with um, groups like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, they've used the pretext of the George, George Floyd killing to unleash an orgy uh, of lawlessness. And I think the point of this lawlessness is to try to achieve through force what they can't Mm -hmm. achieve through the ballot box. And this is very undemocratic. It's very dangerous. It kind of reminds me a little bit historically of what we saw in the streets of Italy in the 20s and even early Nazi Germany in the 30s, which is these paramilitaries uh, trying to extract uh, through force political concessions on the street. And they were supported by major political parties, Mussolini's party in Italy, of course, Hitler's party in Germany, and here in America today, the Democratic Party, which is, you know, you don't just have rioters, you have Riders who have bail money, riders who have Hollywood supporters, riders who have um, who can collaborate with aides in the mayor's office in Portland and Berkeley and New York. So it's kind of a troubling situation that we've allowed this to, to spill over into the street in this way. Yeah, our guest is Dinesh D'Souza. We got him for about two more moments uh, as uh, we talked to him about his new movie called Trump Card. It's on digital. You can watch it uh, just by going to my uh, Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, we got a link right there for you so you can click on it and watch this. I highly recommend that not only you watch it, but you watch it with your kids as well. And even if they complain, make them sit down and watch it. Uh, it's something that will the, they'll be happy that they watched after it's over with and probably will open up some, some avenues of discussion, wouldn't you think, Dinesh, because of what they're being taught in school? Oh. For sure. I mean, what, what's happened is a lot of our schools and colleges have become factories of indoctrination. The kind of information in the movie, although it's historically established, it's undeniable. Nevertheless, it's not taught. Uh, young people just don't know a lot about this stuff. And so the movie is educational, but I think we work very hard to present this information in a very engaging uh, and even exhilarating way. So this is a fun movie to watch. It's actually not going to be something that you kind of have to, quote, sit through. Um, it'll have you on the edge of your seat. And, uh, and at, point, at certain points, it's quite moving. Um, and I think my best movie, I've done five of them, them now, so I've gotten better at it. Um, if you look at my first movie, the Obama film, it was, you know, you could have been shot on a high quality shoulder camera. But these new movies are much more sophisticated. This one would have done very well in the theater, but now it's a, it'll be available for people to watch at home. All right, Dinesh, we want to thank you for your time. I know that you're uh, really busy right now talking to people about this uh, film. Again, Trump Card, go to uh, Facebook.com slash Dave Ellswick Show. Click on it and watch it. It's, uh, that's pretty easy. Can't, can't ask for it to be much easier than that. Thanks for the time today here in Little Rock. We appreciate you, my man. My pleasure. All right, bye-bye now. Dinesh D'Souza here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more. Elizabeth with us for a few more moments. The Bible guys are showing up now here next to the studio. All right, back for the final few moments here this hour. Elizabeth Dinesh was right on. He was great today. 
Take your take your mute button off. She's One of the things I enjoyed about his discussion was new socialism. I've not heard him talk about that before. Mm-hmm. And the left is very, very good at pulling together disparate groups of people. And I like the way you put it, victim groups. That's it. But they, they'll go out and get everybody out together and say, you know, we may or may not agree with your particular problem, but we're going to pull together and we're going to fight the other side. And they're very good at it. Well, the key is, is to get groups together that feel like they've been wronged and they haven't been given a fair shake so that they can say, well, yeah, you know, we have a chance, but we need some extra so that we can, you know, make up for the disparity that's happened in our life. That's the way they always yeah. work it. Well, and at the same time, making sure that everyone understands that if you don't get your way, that obviously means you're a victim. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Well, it's interesting in that in the past, you always said everybody has a chance. Now that's not mm-hmm. they have they have come back with a new argument saying unless you're white, you don't have a chance. And another way of looking at it is everyone has a chance in a country where individualism is important and individual achievement can get you somewhere, but they are teaching people that you can't do it alone. You can't do it without the government. You can't do it without Big Daddy and all these other helpers because you're a victim. Yeah, because... It's a really sad situation. People, I don't believe human beings are made that way. I don't believe that human beings, you know, feel that way. I think that we believe individually in freedom and that's why our country is exceptional well i i gotta believe that exceptional most people are yearning for freedom i mean that's why you know tens of thousands of people keep coming if not millions of people keep coming trying to come to the united states is that they want a shot with all our racism (laughs) yeah yeah even with all of the inequalities that we have here uh, people still want to come to America uh, and and want the shot at the American dream because the American dream is still alive for every person that lives in this country. Uh, you have the opportunity. The only time that it will disappear is when the government tells you how far you can go. There you go. And they would they would be the ones that would stifle that. Look what's happened all over the world except for our country. And yet the left would rather us be, you know, again, they want to level us down to the level of everyone else rather than allowing our country to be a leader. I just, I just, I have such trouble with that. I just do not understand why. Well, I've got to start listening sometimes to my callers that I think are nut jobs uh, who call me, call me up and they say, Dave, what we need to do is, just make it so no one can make over $35,000 a year. Everybody makes $35,000 a year. Prices would come down. You'd have enough money to to, to live. And uh, I, mm. I, I talk to them like the idiots that they are. But then the problem is I sit here now in the 21st century, and I'm hearing more and more people who have bought into that. I mean, just bought in, just bought into it. Well, and they're buying into the idea that 
I don't know. I also consider it to be an envy position. In other words, oh, you're not yeah. satisfied with your own world. You can't handle the fact that the next guy's doing a little bit better job, maybe because he works a little bit harder, maybe because he's digging deeper. You know, uh, it, it, it all comes back to individual drive and individual agency I'm, I'm being able you. to control your world. I'll talk to you at 6 o'clock. Stay tuned. More coming your way with the Bible Guys. Good news. So well, there he is standing behind us at the moment signing in. So oh, he is signing I'm, in I'm right there. Say there he news. is. He's rushing to get here. <laughs> uh, so he'll be with us in, in, in just a moment. I want to open up uh, today. we got some questions, of course. But I want to look at uh, the news a little bit because something has come up in the news that I think that you all need to talk about. Okay. Uh Amy Barrett, the the AP has come out against her, uh, showing shock at the basic biblical concept that the husband is the head of the family, (laughs) and as though this is some kind of cultist mentality that that is out there. And I'd like you guys just to, you know. Talk about this a little bit, because the way that they present it and the way that a lot of leftists and atheists present it and feminists present it, uh, that it's a woman uh, at, in, in subjugation to her husband. Right. Where the scripture is very clear that the man is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Yep. And how how badly did Christ love the church? He gave his life for it. Yep. So I'm going to let you guys pick up with it. Because evidently me saying it just doesn't carry the same weight. Sure. So who's going to fall in this grenade? That's, well, there, oh. There's no grenade a, to fall on. Right, there's not, well, how could you have a, a, a dialogue with someone who's going to have a problem with this when there's other things that are clear that are huge moral issues that they won't even acknowledge? You know, they don't have a – they won't – They'll come against, well, the Bible doesn't really mean promiscuity, so you can sleep around. It really doesn't mean homosexuality, so you can sleep with whoever you want. Yeah. So how could you even remotely approach something here? Even within probably people within the church who would have a problem with the idea um, of this concept, that this is the way God laid it out, that the man is the head of the house, but it's not. And unfortunately, in times past, like all things, uh, men used it in a domineering way, in a controlling way, and it was misused. But. It, it ultimately means that, that the man has the responsibility of the house, uh, and there are different roles within the in the uh, uh, family, and so that's really how you should look at it. Is yes, the man has the ultimate 
um, responsibility to God for what happens within his home. Uh, and if there are situations where there is to be a, a disagreement uh, within the husband and wife, which should be rare that you don't come to a unified agreement on it, then yes, the man would have the final say on it because he's the one that has to answer to God for what right. happens in his house. But if you're kind of doing your job, um, then you would be working these things out together in unity and you would get to that place. But yeah, there are several scriptures that we could pull up where it talks about um, how the man is the head of the house. They really would dislike the one where Paul even calls the woman the weaker vessel. They'll really hate that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think also there's there's a difference between, well, I think, well, it's, it's confused within our modern world, but, you know, equality, we are, we're all equal. That's right. I think that people make the 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 wrong assumption that um that equality means sameness right. and and they're and they're not they're very different so you can be equal but not uh but not the same and i for one am very glad that women are not the same as right. as as Amen. men Amen. Uh, so so uh well, you can be equal but not um but not the same um and and i think that that we need to allow our differences to become our strengths uh as opposed to trying to to remove our differences and create some type of uh, sameness. You know, as a matter of fact, there are certain cultures that have tried to remove all gender distinction and make not only equality mean also same. But when they've done that, um, they have found that the differences between male and female have actually increased yep. uh, and not decreased. Um, you know, our differences should be celebrated. And, you know, as far as women being the weaker vessel, I mean, I think even science tells us now that women are just biologically 60% weaker from the waist up. I mean, it's just, it's just, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, why, why is there something wrong with that? There's I mean, nothing yeah. wrong with I mean, God, God made men typically larger uh, than women, taller than women, uh, um, bigger than women for the purpose of protecting them. Right. And that's right. why we were even built that Even when the man thinks that he's a woman. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, why is it that um, that whenever men compete in the women's sports, they make you know pour them full of estrogen hormones, or trying to get rid of that uh, that innate masculine thing that causes yeah. them to be stronger and faster and so forth? There's a, I don't I don't know why that our differences have to be seen as being something bad. I think we should celebrate our differences and let our differences become our uh, become our strengths. Yeah, yeah and, you, and you were talking about removing um, those identities and, and seeing people move further towards typical, what we would think of as traditional sorts of roles. There was a European country, and, and I don't remember a Sweden or a Norway or some somewhere um, like that, where they made a conscious effort um, in their education, in their hiring practices, et cetera, et cetera, um, to remove all of that distinction. Matter of fact, they didn't even ask about sex on applications and such. And what they found is those traditional roles where, um, you know, Things that have traditionally been one-sided or the other, uh, people moved, migrated towards, even out of their current jobs, migrated towards uh, almost immediately. Uh, and, and that split became, uh, <laughs> uh, shockingly to the government, shouldn't ha- not have been shockingly, but shockingly to the government became more pronounced um, by lack of factor of two or three. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, it, it was, it was um, um, well, most of Scandinavia, primarily Sweden. I lived in Sweden for uh uh, for for three years and 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 that's what they did. They tried to to turn. They tried to demasculize demasculinize the uh, the men and make them more right. and make them more placid. But what happened is they do that. The distinctions become actually uh, greater. As a matter of fact, in Sweden, um, they removed all urinals from bathrooms 
because if a woman cannot stand to go to urinate, then neither should a man. So they removed all urinals in an attempt to create some right. type of not only equality but sameness. But when you try to make men and women same, you actually enhance the differences between the two of them, uh, which is only a, a good thing. I mean, I mean psychologists tell you there's a great guy out there, uh, Jordan Peterson, yeah. um, and he talks a lot about, uh, and it's from a psychological perspective, when you try to make – uh, men and women the same and remove the distinctions you actually enhance it because when men and women are allowed to be themselves they automatically migrate towards um, jobs that are are traditionally uh, gender specific it's also right. one more thing that's going against um, the the biblical model in the biblical model a womanhood is celebrated right and now right. if a woman chooses to be a stay at home mother to, yeah, yeah. to take care of the the household. She's degraded. Right, she's degraded. Right, she's degraded. degraded. Yep. yep. Completely yep. opposite in every aspect of biblical life. So yep. I'm not surprised. Well, I think there's something in there about um, good being called evil and evil being called yeah, good. Right. So. Yeah. And then when it comes to uh, to pay, you know, they'll say they'll say, well, uh, men, you know, there's this massive pay gap. There is no pay gap. No. Uh, because they'll say, well, women women make seventy like seventy seven cents for every dollar a man makes. And that's what, what they're not factoring in there is, well, what jobs are they choosing right. to do? Women tend to choose jobs that are more uh, compassion-led, more uh, humanitarian-led, where men choose to walk on top of skyscrapers and try to, you know, they're, 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 the jobs are so different. And they say, well, even women and men who work the same, exactly the same job, the same education, let's say in a hospital, doctors, men make more money. And on the surface, that's true, but when you break it down, you right. find out on average men work 500 hours more a year than women because they choose. They want to have a family or whatever. So when you break that down, the pay is actually basically the same if yeah. not women making yeah. a little bit more. Right. But men tend to work longer and do more dangerous jobs. So it's it's a total fallacy. It's an idea just to push forward a, an idea that is, um, has never had any traction anyway. I encourage you to go to the website and walk, look at Thomas Sowell. <laughs> he is fabulous when he comes to dealing with this type of thing and also with the racial pay gaps and things of that nature. He's really he's a brilliant, brilliant man. But all these statistics are only doing one thing, and that is proving the Bible to have been true all along. Yeah, if you want to know how the media sees this, just go to the AP tweet on this. If you're a member of the Twitter account for the Associated Press, here's what it said. Amy Coney Barrett, President Trump's Supreme Court nominee, has close ties to a charismatic Christian group that holds that men are divinely ordained, all right, as the, quote, head of the family, the way that they like to (laughs) downplay this. And then they have a picture of her, and underneath it says, Barrett, tied to faith group, ex-members say, subjugates women. She obviously believes that women shouldn't have a really public life and sit in positions of authority, right, right. as someone who's <laughs> headed to the Supreme Court. Right. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. They shouldn't work. Right. And right. They think right. they, they were absolutely right. So it is. It is. And it's just an attempt to – this woman um, – I mean, she was – she set through all of this, what, three years ago? Yeah. Um, they don't have anything new to throw at her. So all they can attempt to do is muddy her character. And and that's all this is. This is just an attempt um, to make her look um, really poor in the public eye in an attempt to slow down the process and hopefully wait until after November. And I don't know that that'll do them any good either. No, it's so. not going to. Absolutely is. And I mean, Durbin, who is a 
lefty of all lefties out of Illinois said we can only slow this down by hours or at the maximum a couple of days. Well, I'm sure all the women's groups have come to defend her, have they not? <laughs> oh, yeah, they <laughs> are. They're, I'm sure, I'm sure they you all should come see to all the, the, the tweets that I've got here, the women's groups. I'm sure they're all you know, coming you know, to defend her, you know. That is, that is one of those things. Um, you know, I, I have... As a young man, I noticed that in, in movies and, and television shows, and so the good guys always win, right? Even though the bad guys are cheating, even mm-hmm. though the bad guys are, are breaking all the rules, the good guys still win. And why is that? Well, because the bad guys will turn on themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they eventually eat themselves alive, right? I'm, I'm, you know, uh, we're, we're for empowering women, except for that woman, because she doesn't believe exactly what we believe. And, and it's like, seriously, y'all, y'all are just eating your own lunch. All right. First break coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, our good friends out at uh, PI Roofing want you to understand they are the roof leak detectives. Joel Johnson, his wife Veronica, want you to understand that they want to make sure your roof is kept in great stead so that uh, you know it's your last defense against the outside elements. Right now, it's 50 degrees outside. And you want your roof to be in good set so that all the heat stays in your house and doesn't get out into the atmosphere, so to speak. And I'm like Billy, too. Where's all this global warming? Uh, Not so much so, as we are already in the cooler temperatures. Uh, Thursday morning is supposed to be, you ready? 44 degrees. That's in Little Rock. Where I live, that means it's going to be maybe upper 30s, just so that everybody... Uh, knows that that might be coming but bottom line is uh, i've used pi roofing for almost 20 years Uh, i've been using pi roofing since they got into business and and joel johnson and his crew are professional they do the job the way you want it done they get it done they get it done at a fair price and right now they're getting it done with all of the things they got to do for social distancing and in all the rest Call them at the number I use. See, I don't have like I like to always say I don't have a a bat cave phone. I have or or a hotline like the president has the Kremlin or something like that. Uh, my phone is not red. It, I walk around. It's black and it's a regular cell phone. And I call seven zero seven thirty five fifty one seven zero seven thirty five fifty one, and that's the same number you call. And they'll take as good a care of you as they take care of me. And I think they take great care of me. Or you can find them online. Just go to piroofing.com. All right, back with you. Let's move into our questions now. Uh, We dealt with the news, so we'll deal with questions. Dear Dave, how do the Bible guys interpret the verse Romans 11.26? And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. I'm interested in the portion that states, and so all Israel will be saved. Thank you. All right, guys. It's all for you. I don't see why there would be any confusion on this verse, but I guess I could understand if I read it and people take it out of context. Yeah. Scott, start with you. Great. Jump in. Um, They're they're, they're (laughs) deferring to you. Yeah, there'll be multiple answers. They're referring to me. Okay. Um, Well, it's a good question. Um, I think, you you know, when you have 
when we look at the scripture like this, we have to understand that um, when it makes a statement, all Israel will be saved, obviously this is not saying that every single individual in Israel is going to be uh, saved. Actually, I think if you look at this word saved, it also has to do with uh, the phrase, um, or it can be translated, actually my marginal, if I'm looking at this here, actually my uh, my Bible tells me that this word saved is also the word delivered which works well because the previous next verse mentions the word delivery. It's kind of yep. a playoff of the uh, words. Um, and I think that it mentions that because it mentions that the deliverer will come out of um, out of Zion. So if the person's asking, is every person in the nation of Israel going to be born again? I don't think, I don't think that, with that, that that's, that's actually meaning, uh, meaning that. Um, I'm going to defer to somebody else. I'm just kind of getting a brain fog right yeah, now. Yeah, it it doesn't give us a full context here. This is why there's been multiple interpretations of this. Some will take it as meaning the lost tribes, and and some will say that that those that were broken off or those are those who currently don't believe, or some like I said, some will take it that it's part of the lost tribes, and, and eventually all of Israel will come to the knowledge of salvation is one way in which they would say it. I have other people that say and all they, of and Israel. Say, and they say that because the previous verse talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, which Correct. refers back to the book of Genesis where it says, Meloha Goyim, which is the fullness of the Gentiles. And Correct. I believe that those Gentiles are the scattered sheep, which goes to the context of all of Israel. Correct. And then I have other people that will take it to the extreme and say all Jewish people will be saved. All of Israel will be saved regardless of their position on Messiah, on Yeshua, on Jesus, uh, which that can't be true because I, I would say, well, so George Soros is going to heaven when he don't even believe in God and he's worked contrary to his people and doesn't even forget that he doesn't even believe in Yeshua. He didn't even believe in his own people. So is that man saved? Of course not. So how far do we want to take that? And that's why I, there's not a clear answer as far as that you can give an emphatic answer on this. So, so what is the verse that it refers to? The deliverer will come out of Zion. And how is that verse being used in the Old Testament? Well, I, I, I think I would start with um, the phrase that is confusing there, which is um, shall be saved. Uh, most okay. frequently when that particular um, phrase is used in the Old Testament, um, it is talking about uh, physical saving from conflict and that sort of thing. Um, so this is a um, it's a phrase that is often used to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to protect you. And we know that in, in order to fulfill uh, in time prophecy, Israel, not the, necessarily the people, but the land. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, that includes a bunch of the people, but that the land must be saved, uh, that the nation of Israel must be protected in order for Messiah to fulfill the things that he still needs to fulfill. He, we, we still need to see a Messiah come to Israel. You can't nuke Israel off the map mm-hmm. because the Messiah, Messiah, God is not going to let that happen. Messiah still needs to return. Why was God so harsh in the Old Testament with those living in the land? Because he needed to keep the lines pure for Messiah to arrive. So you're saying that Israel is actually geographical and not I I think there's an element of that here, yes. Well, in the context of 11.2, not 11 verse 2, but 11 also, is that that people, the part of the children of Israel were, as it says, broken off. So some of Israel did not become believers in the Messiah. And then he even goes on further to say that actually some of them are enemies against you now. Right, right. And and so you could also read this in the context where it says, like, all of those who are going to be saved in Israel will be saved. Right. But we know it, does, it, it, it can't mean, I, I should say, it's highly probable that it doesn't mean every single person in Israel is going to be saved. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't, I don't think that's what it's saying. And to answer Dave's question, it's coming from out of Isaiah fifty-nine. Okay, and um, and it's um, it's referring to uh, instead of instead of using the word deliver, come out of Zion. It says, "And the redeemer will come out of Zion, uh, and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob." Uh, says the Lord. Uh, I think it's a really right. good question. Hold your thought. Yep. Got to take a break. That's the answer right there. Because <laughs> you know what? There it is. Rush Limbaugh wants to speak. And oh, when well. Rush wants to speak, he gets we to speak. shut up. <laughs> Here's a break. We'll be back with more. And we continue with the Bible, guys, here on, uh, uh, of course, 1011 FM, the answer. Becky from Louisiana called. She said, uh, compare and contrast in. Uh, air quotes here easy believism and calvinism and its effect on evangelism mm. can i just finish up that one verse I'll see, here i'll see you guys later <laughs> no, go, go ahead just uh, going back to that uh, last question uh, uh that quote that was made there there in romans referring it back to uh, the book of isaiah 59 which is where he was quoting he says the quote is uh, the redeemer shall come out of zion uh, and those who turn from their transgressions in jacob says the lord so so all of is all of Israel will be saved who turn from their transgression. I think that's the yeah. the best way to uh, to look first at that. First rule of that, preaching that, that applies to everybody, doesn't yeah. it? Right, right. Listen, first rule of preaching. They call it hermeneutics, is what they'll say mm. in in cemetery. <laughs> but uh, you learn, you look at those verses, and you go back and you find the con- the, t- the contextualism of that verse, right, right, because that sets up. Whatever the writer is saying. Right. And then the, the writer is intending for you to go back and to look yes. at what, he's, yep. what he said. Or you should know it. Yes. Yes. That, that is, this is nicely quoted for us here. There are many times that happens with the scriptures where they're just hinting at a scripture yeah. and people don't yeah. go back and do that. Well, and that was that was part of the tradition, right? Yeah. Um, we, we forget that if you back up 2,000 years, not everyone had 15 copies of the Bible laying around their right. house. As a matter of fact, they had no copy of the Bible laying around their house. You were lucky to have all of the scrolls in any particular synagogue. Now, wait a second. Are you telling me that Peter didn't have an ornate scroll Come sitting on, on his coffee table? Nope. No, but Timothy had a King James Version, I think. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes, uh, right. so, <laughs> so part of the tradition, um, obviously, they memorized Scripture, which mm-hmm. would would shock most of us to try to memorize the entire Old Testament. Uh-huh. Uh, but secondarily, in they they simply made a reference, particularly when they were talking about a portion like Jesus does when he stands up and reads uh, the scroll. We see one line quoted, uh, but what that is supposed to tell us is that he wrote, uh, read the portion for that week yeah. in synagogue because that was the tradition. If you wanted someone to know what you're talking about, you simply mentioned enough of the scripture that they would know where that was, and then you moved on so that you didn't have to quote the entire thing. And yeah. we don't get that context yeah. here in the 21st century it, it's a hebrew co- a technique called remez which means it's a it's a hinting so basically if we were if i was teaching a sermon and i wanted to illustrate by using the story of the three little pigs um which would be it's not a very kosher story but if i wanted to use that as an illustration i might be talking and i'll say you know it's like the three little pigs and then i moved on everybody in my audience automatically knows the whole story i don't right. have to explain it right. so a lot of times in the bible when an author will throw out a phrase they're expecting the people that are listening to them to already know the story, to fill in all the blanks and move on, whereas we don't necessarily – we can't necessarily do that. Kind of like an NFL football game during normal season, not this season, when they get ready to kick the extra point <clears throat> and you see the guy holding the sign up says 316. Right, right. yeah. Right. Yeah, they're not to say 
John three sixteen. Yeah. Quote the scripture. They expect everybody to know. Everybody it. Yeah. should yeah. know it. Yeah, you sure. Know? Everybody learns it as a kid, typically. All right, dear Bible guys, I'm wondering if you three could share with the listening audience, and we'll come back, Becky, to what you asked. I was wondering if the three of you could share with the listening audience what the Feast of Tabernacles means to you in real time and how, if at all, you guys observe or celebrate it. Maybe you could give a tip or two on how someone might apply it or if we should. I just wish we had somebody that maybe had started a series on this. Mm-hmm. That could really <laughs> just address this past this. week. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, that might be at my church, I think. Yeah, I, think I, 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 I did that. Okay, so you've been talking about it. So, you know, right. in real time, mm-hmm. today, now, in the present, how do you celebrate do a show on this? Yeah, you could yeah. do a whole show on it. Uh, well, the like uh, like all the feasts of the Lord, uh, these are forever ordinances. They're always meant to be going on. Uh, they were never meant to be discontinued. Uh, as a matter of fact, referring to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Bible says that even in the millennial kingdom, when Messiah is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, you're still going to be celebrating tabernacles. Uh, as a matter of fact, he said, if you don't celebrate mm-hmm. the Feast of Tabernacles while I'm seated in Jerusalem, you will be punished. So if you can imagine in utopia where Messiah is ruling and reigning, he's still administering punishment for not celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, which means this thing must be very important uh, to to the Lord. So, um, And what it is, it's a celebration. It's like many of the other holy rehearsals. It's a rehearsal of God's dwelling with his people and for one week, we set aside seven days to live a life of what it would be like if Messiah was actually dwelling among his people. Uh, and that changes everything. Uh, what would you say? How would you act? What would you think? How would you treat people? Uh, what would be the words coming out of your mouth? How would you live your life if Jesus came to have dinner with you every single uh, every single night? Would you invite friends over to listen to what the Messiah has to say? Would you worship him if he was there? All these things uh, say yes, yes, and um, and yes. So what we do is we take out an entire week. Uh, we put up a, a temporary dwelling. We call it, It's called a sukkah or a little tabernacle. Uh, we eat in this thing. We celebrate. We worship God in it. We speak only good things. We we say, For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. We we celebrate uh, We celebrate his, his presence. So remember that movie, um, What About Bob? Yes. Okay. And the big deal was what about he, Bob? he was supposed to take a vacation <laughs> from his problem. And basically what you're doing for one whole week, you're taking a vacation from every problem, every situation, every issue, and you're putting it all aside to do nothing but think and say and speak um, good things about God. Here's key. If, if Jesus showed up for a week at our houses, would we be glad he left? No. no. After it was all no. over. My, I don't know. It's an annual. It's supposed to be an annual reset. You're supposed to basically reset how you live your life. And when it's over, you're meant to keep living that way. Right. Yeah. There's so many pictures that are laid out in this. It began with um, God telling them to remind them about how he took care of them when they were in the, in the desert and how they lived in temporary huts um, and in the sukkahs. And the root word for that gives the idea of a thatch or branches being woven together. And so there's a great picture of about us unifying and weaving ourselves together with God and reminding ourselves of his provision. Um, it also is a picture, it, that word is specifically used when the Messiah comes, um, and it says that he came and dwelt amongst men, which actually is the word for tabernacle. So it's another picture of God himself coming to tabernacle or dwell amongst his people, taking us back to what God, This is, the whole gospel story is about getting us back to Adam, 
to Adam walking in the coolness of the day with God. And that's what this is about. And it's about a celebration, rejoicing that God himself came and dwelt amongst men. And now we're practicing the celebration of what it's going to be like in the millennium. And we right. have people over every night. We build a, that we all build temporary sukkahs. We put branches over the top. Uh, and then we invite people over and it's just, you know, a weeks long celebration of eating and rejoicing in God's provision and, and celebrating him. And all right, do you do that at your house? Yep. Yep. All right. I'll do it mine. Billy? Yep. 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 And all right. Anybody, I end up on my front porch, but you know. So. Anybody, anybody can, can if, you've, if you've ever had a cookout at your house, basically you're doing this for a whole week. You're, you're right. cooking outside, or you don't have to cook outside, but you're eating outside, uh, inviting people over and celebrating uh, the Lord. But just for everybody to know, the Bible is full of this. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. life of Jesus, like when Jesus commissioned the 70 to go out, that happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. When he wrote in the sand with his finger, that happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. When they brought the lady to him that was caught in adultery, that happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. When he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, that happened at the Feast of Tabernacles. I can go through this long list of stuff that happens in the Gospels, and it all happens in and around this particular feast day. So it's pretty important to the Holy Ghost to lift this out and Mm -hmm. give to us to feed off of for 3,000 or 2,000 years before Messiah returns. So you're sure that it's just not a coincidence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and to to go ahead and take down one sacred cow, um, this is the most highly probable time in which he was born. Yeah, it was during right, this time right. that he would have been born on the first day and then circumcised on the eighth day as Shemini Atzeretz, which is a celebration of the Torah, celebration of the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word dwelt with, with God and was God, and tabernacled amongst men, all of that stuff. There's great pictures that John's laying out there for us that happens during all not, of this. Not December 25th? It's not no. December. Okay. And listen, no. we're, we're having a, a big celebration at our, at our church on, um, on October 11th at 1030 in the morning. All it's, day. All day long. We're starting off at, at 1030, having a service, and there's there's games, there's there's food trucks. That's, uh, it's just a big party all day long, and then it ends uh, – Five thirty in the evening with uh, with a with a worship concert uh, with our group uh, to spend time. So come one, come all. This and Passover are my two favorite holidays yeah. of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of course, about our personal redemption, and then this one, looking forward. Uh, and I think that's the thing it it for me that it points to most is that the situation we're in now, the world we're living in now, is mm-hmm. not the way it was meant to be. No, and it's that not. is going to get fixed and fixed <laughs> soon. Yep. Really, the, the world. Is this is not the way <laughs> the world is supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to God be. God didn't make God it this is way. Going to fix it. So, wow, I'm and that is a stunned by it. That's what the quote is. It's like right. what what would life world be like if it was fixed? Right. And, and, and that is a stark reminder um, for me every year. I'm reminded that we are one year closer to the return of Messiah, and I should be doing everything in my power to spread the gospel to as many people as possible because there really is coming a day when there will not be any more chance. That's it. Well, and if you put it, one of the other things you have to do is put it in the context of all of the feasts because, you know, 15 days ago, or Sukkot begins this weekend, but 15 days prior to that is when Yom Teruah, the blowing of right. the trumpets, Rosh Hashanah begins, and that actually starts this whole season. This well, is yesterday not, was a big day. Yeah, yesterday was and that's what day. I was getting to is that we start off with the blowing of the trumpets to let us know that the Day of Atonement is approaching, then atonement comes. You're either atoned for or you're judged, depending on what side you fall on. And then you roll in five days after that, you roll into a celebration. So it's a 15-day period of nothing, actually 21, 20, yeah. if you put it all together, of celebration and rejoicing. So once you get the uh, trumpet blowing, let you know that God's coming, uh, then he comes, he atones or judges, and then it's just time to party because we've been redeemed.
All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Becky had a great question. Yeah. I mean, really a great question, and we'll need the last part of this show to scratch the surface of it. We got more coming your way. It's the Bible guys. They're here in the studio right now here on the Dave Ellswick Show 101.1 FM. All right, we're back. Watched the movie over the weekend. Disgusting. After I watched it, I, I thought, that's what the world thinks about what religion yeah. is. It's called The Devil All the Time. Mm. And it's got Tom Holland in it. It's one of the reasons I watched it. I think he's a good actor. He's a guy who played Spider-Man in the recent Spider-Man movie. And he's played some other parts. And he's pretty good. And and Robert Patterson was in it. And uh, his his part, he played the devil is all the time. And it just goes on that people, great, you could look at it, and I could use it as a way of saying, see, that's what the Bible says. At our deepest, we're despicable. Yeah. yeah. We're irredeemable, except for Jesus. Amen. Grace. All right. All right. So Becky from Louisiana had this question. She said, compare and contrast easy believism, or I guess you guys, what do you guys call it? Greasy grace. Greasy grace, yeah. And Calvinism and its effect on evangelism. Uh, we've got eight minutes. <laughs> did, did you say it started off with counter or because compare, compare and contrast? And, well, I, I wouldn't look at them as a something that needs to be contrasted. They seem yeah. to go together. Yep. So if if you believe in greasy grace, then you accept you know Calvinism as far as being preordained to salvation and then that kind of flows into a once saved always saved mentality so i wouldn't see it as a contrast um but if you take a a view that um a greasy grace mentality uh then it's really hard to get people to see um that there's sin in their life and what sin is try and define it and and point to them that they need a savior or if you take and then take that into a calvinistic view which is your you whether you're chosen to be ordained or not then there's no point in witnessing you know, because if it's, you know, not God's will, then what's my point of opening my mouth to you and talk to you about the fact it's that— It's not like I'm going to open your eyes. Correct. Right. Because if, you know, if it's one of those things that you lay out that, hey, you know, we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we need a Redeemer, and they go, oh, well, I don't believe that. Oh, well, then I guess it wasn't God's will for you to be saved. See ya. I mean, that that would be a limitation that I would see um, to a, a Calvinistic approach. I mean, why, why would you go out and try to evangelize if— if everybody who's going to be saved, or everyone who is, will be saved, is going to be saved regardless of what you happened, do, what, right. what you do, so it tends to take away any uh, urgency or or need to go out and tell people. Because whether if I if I if I you know if I go out and preach uh, you know in the jungles of the Amazon, or if I don't, it's irrelevant because yeah. everybody who's going to be saved is going to be saved regardless of any human influence. So, so I think. Um, I think, for me, I think Calvinism takes away the urgency and the need for a lot of um, a lot of evangelism. So, I, yeah, that's that's really quite simple for me. And I think on the other side of that, uh, where evangelism does exist in that tradition, uh, you find a very shallow sort of mm. of Christianity that comes out of it. It's a rush into town for a three day conference, get as many people quote saved uh, end quote as possible, and then move on. And there's no real depth um, of follow up. Right. There's no follow-up. There's no discipleship that happens after. Steve, what's the scariest verse in the Bible? Um, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Uh, Depart from me. I never, never knew, knew you. Um, 
And, and I think we have a tendency, in, and I say we, that's a royal we, that's not the three of us, but I, I think that tradition has a tendency to produce. Notice he said three. He didn't say four. <laughs> Just saying. It has a tendency to produce folks who may end up hearing those words at some point because um, they come to the front, they say a little prayer, they walk away, and they continue living the life they've always lived. Uh, has there been a change? Did did the gospel, when it when it impacted them, change their lives? Uh, are they a new creation? Um, I, in a lot of instances, I see no evidence of that. Uh, and um, the change that happens in me should produce fruit. And if there is no fruit, then I question whether or not there was an actual change. And if there's no change, then there was no real salvation. So it's a tradition that, that scares me because people get really comfortable. They go, well, mm. I, I got saved when I was 14. I went to the front and I said a prayer and then I got into drugs and alcohol and my life hasn't changed since. And I go, well, then let's talk about your salvation. Mm. Right. Um, I was listening to one of the one of the many podcasts I listened to throughout the week, and this guy was pointing out some of the statistics uh, about um, the, the sermon that he was given about, was about the great falling away. And it was something like uh, two-thirds of the evangelicals that were interviewed thought that premarital sex was okay in yeah, certain yeah. instances. And then something like 50% of the evangelicals thought that homosexuality was okay. And but, you know, that's, that's what this leads. Right? Yeah, that's easy to happen when— um, 57% of Christians no longer believe that Christ was divine. Yeah, that was another uh, one. Yeah. Or, or that almost 60% of Christians do not believe that Christ rose from the dead. Yeah. Uh, then then why are you a Christian? I mean, right. if, if, if Christ didn't die from you and rise from uh, and, and, and find All himself risen from the dead, then, then what's the point? Because they see it just as a rule book of how to right. be good, mm. supposedly. Well, they've, they've eased back into to humanism, right? Where, well, at my base, I'm, I'm a good person, and with just a little instruction, I can that be a better is person. That is the biggest lie that's ever yep. been yep. perpetrated. But that is what people. the world wants us to believe. It's what Satan wants us to believe, right? I don't need a redeemer because at my core, I really am a good person. I really, you know, I, I help here and there. I Forget argue that I this am. point with, with members of my own family. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you know, it is having, the great lie. Having lived in um, Europe for half of my life, basically, um, you know, I can see that we are quickly becoming Europe yeah. when it comes to um, the, the the place that, that faith plays in um, in our society and in our government. I just read a, a statistic the other day saying that 61% of millennials uh, say that they are uh, Christians, but only 2% have a biblical worldview. Right. And so it's... Wow. So, yeah. So, it, it, so imagine uh, that group of people then running the nation with only 2% having a biblical worldview. So what... What you have then is you have religion that becomes just an optional extra to a society. You're now culturally Christian, but it's, it has no effect on the way that you live your life and how and the decisions that you make. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm shocked that a lot of the you know people in Congress you know declare themselves to be Catholic yet mm-hmm. you know support uh, abortion, abortion as, as readily as what they do and I, mm-hmm. declare that they're doing the Lord's work. And it's just asinine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It's not living out the faith of the Scripture. Hear that. The music means we're out of time right, already. Time. Already. This hour went, like, immediately quickly. All right, guys, we'll see you again next Tuesday here in the studio. It's good to have you back here. Scott uh, Stewart, of course, back is the preacher over at Agape Church. What time are you meeting on Sunday? Uh, 9 o'clock and 1037 to Napa Valley Drive. Be there. When's the party starting? That is on the 11th of this month at 1030 in the parking lot. Is that going to be all ice cream or something? Well, not all ice cream, no, but there'll be a lot of good stuff. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, all yeah. right. Got to get out of here. Elizabeth be back with me at 6 o'clock this evening. Stick around for that. 
by listening to the rest of 101.1 FM all day long. Elizabeth and I are back with you. Uh, I hope you heard the first two hours of the show between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. You heard the Bible guys between 7 and 8. They did a great job today. Having them back in the studio, that hour went like that. It was like the quickest hour in a long, long time that we've had on the show. And the first hour, uh, hopefully you heard that because Dinesh D'Souza was our special guest uh, in the second half hour at uh, 6.35. And he had a lot of great things to say about his new uh, movie, Trump Card, which, by the way, you can watch easily by just going to facebook.com uh, slash Dave Ellswick Show and look on my uh, Facebook page, and I've got a direct link uh, so that you can watch it. And you should watch it along with your family and share it uh, with them because... It uh, should for if you have kids that are in high school or kids that are in college should open up some very interesting uh, avenues of discussion that I'm sure they have not been taught before. So uh, know that that uh, is a possibility. Maybe you want to watch it first yourself and then be ready to watch it uh, the second time around with your kids so that. Uh, you can point out some things to them uh, on uh, about the movie. But let's talk about right now, uh, if you would like, uh, uh, Elizabeth, let's talk about Amy uh, Barrett, who's up for the Supreme Court. Uh, the time frame that we're hearing is uh, two weeks from yesterday, uh, the hearings will begin. They're going to last a week, and then that's going to be it, and then the vote will come. So uh, it looks to me like uh, Graham and uh, and uh, the Republicans, McConnell uh, being the Senate uh, leader, are looking to get this done before the election. Is that the way you're seeing this? It sure is going to bump pretty close right up to it, isn't it? He uh, Graham was pretty insistent over the weekend that his committee would be delivering their approval on the 22nd. And -hmm. then, of course, it's up to (laughs) it's up to uh, the apex predator McConnell. I love that word. I love that uh, termination. (laughs) The apex predator. I'm still fond of turtle, but, you know, because it's so misleading. I like it. You know, he's he's not he's he's very. You know, it's look, looking at the surface of the pond. There's not a lot going on, but that yeah, but is a powerhouse. In the who state. won the race between the turtle and the hare? Exactly. Thank you. That's why I like the nickname. Yeah, no big <laughs> deal. The predator, I mean, he, he said all along he wanted to be at the Senate. This is the job he always wanted to do. He doesn't want to go any further. I think he's in the right spot. So we'll see when he schedules the vote. Um 
I wonder why we're even having hearings except for the fact that we need to let the public know a little more about Judge Barrett. I think a lot of conservatives have probably been aware of her for what uh, since Kavanaugh came along. I knew about her but, before Kavanaugh came came along. I mean, I've known for a long time that this woman was a, a real mover and shaker in the legal field. And I guess being from the Midwest, I, I'm really excited that we have the possibility, finally, of putting somebody on the Supreme Court that's not, you know, an Ivy League educated person. A product of the leftist, you know, I've said it, and, yeah. and Dinesh D'Souza said it this morning. I've said forever, our colleges and universities and Ivy Leagues are becoming factories for leftists. Yep. I like the fact that she's the first mother ever to sit on the Supreme Court, assuming she gets nominated and approved. I think she will. The first mother to ever sit on the Supreme Court. That's pretty phenomenal. Well, let's, again, let's, let's clarify that a little bit. She's not the first mother. She's the first active mother and that her kids are still young children yes yes i'm not making that clear correct everyone else had grown children but she is still mothering her children yes she (laughs) is family is raising children which some people on the left hate and they say she's got seven children or five children how can you how can you have five children and have the career that you should have and a typical lefty's uh, reaction out the other side of their mouth, they're saying, you know, this is what women always wanted was to be able to have a career and have their family, you know, and, and she does it and they can't deal with it. But now they you don't know? say that. Now they don't say That's that. That's the now. whole thing. As soon as they say something, it's all about what things look like and waking up in a new world every day. There is no consistency, no, no underlying not. principles to their positions. Absolutely, it, absolutely it, it, it not. Defines, I just find that hard to hard to deal with. There's no there's no backup of anything except for the fact that we're victims and we're angry and we're going to disrupt anything and everything in our sight. I well, it, 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 and it's especially the way the left sees things is that nothing that we believe, nothing that we adhere to is worth adhering to because everything changes. And then they've tried to say that everything in the past that we've adhered to has been rooted in racist. What do they call it? Critical race. What do they call it? Critical theory. Well, systematic racism. Yeah, it's uh, always it, been around. It you just know. it it. You know, I was always taught to try to understand and try to read and understand. You know, other positions. Of course, if you were ever in debate class in school, you learned how to you know take the other side apart, debate, so forth and so on. That's how conservatives tend to approach these things. We are not equipped to handle this type of, I'll call it asymmetrical politics. They are not using tactics that we know what to do with a lot of times. And again, goes back to uh, McConnell, the Senate, and our majority. We have the presidency. We have the Senate. And we need to use the power that the people put in the hands of those elected officials. I want to see them do something. Do it before November 3rd. Um, would have loved to hear Desh, Dinesh D'Souza's opinion if we are able to get Judge Barrett nominated before November 3rd. Will that energize the GOP base further or will it depress the vote? Because people may think that the you know the battle has already, the war no, has already been no, won. No, 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 no. 
We want to get Trump, keep him in there for another four years because Breyer and Souter and uh, Thomas Thomas. have all been speaking about retiring. That's three more. Can you imagine if that man stays as president? And I get my fingers, toes, and eyes crossed about that. The bottom line, if he is still present, that he maybe could get three more Supreme Court nominees in. Think about that. You know, he set so many records during his presidency already, and that just gives me goosebumps. You know he was nominated a third time now for a Nobel Peace Prize, correct? I know. Yeah. For you on the left. now. For you on the left, because he's done more for the Middle East than any president I'm aware of. And they specifically cited the Trump doctrine. The United States will take care of its country, you know, be, be nationalists, take care of its country, and yet at the same time, we will remove ourselves from these incessant wars, which whether we think that we should be in those wars or not, you know that it's just, for those folks, another disruption to their already crazy uh, uh, problems they have with their opponents, they they praise the United States for pulling out of the wars because of Trump's foreign doctrine. I just I find it phenomenal, and I find it more than striking that you don't see that in the mainstream news at right. all. Here's here's the Trump doctrine in a nutshell for everybody: uh, we don't become isolationists. Uh, if we no. have to fight, we fight, but we fight. For a particular end, and then we get out. And then we get out. That's that's what and, it's about, and that's the way it should be. Rob talks about the military-industrial complex. This is another area where Trump's uh, approach is completely disrupting all the money games and all the power plays and all the, you know, the swamp that's been going on for the longest time surrounding all that money that's dumped into these incessant wars. Well. You know, that's what Eisenhower, Eisenhower is the one who coined the industrial complex. He's the one <laughs> exactly. who brought it up in the 50s. He saw the problem. He he was aware of it, and, and he was trying to move up? away from it. In the 50s, he yeah. brought that up. How long ago has that been? And we're still doing it until Trump came along. 60 years ago. Think about that for a moment. We're still doing it until Trump came along. We've got to do everything we can to to put him back in the presidency for the next four years. Yeah, and how how is that affecting? Look at Germany when it was mentioned that we might remove 20,000 troops from Germany and all of the uh, businesses and whatnot started screaming in Germany, you can't leave, you got to stay here. It's not about protection anymore. It's about money going into their businesses. And you it, remind me of that's the same way it is here in this country at times. When we talk about I, you know Little Rock Air Force Base, is it necessary for our defense? It is now, I believe, because of the C one thirty. But when the C one thirty is retired, is Little Rock Air Force Base necessary any longer? It's just stunning. It reminds me of what Trump says about China and other foreign countries. You know, the money we pay to the U.N. and how he cut all that off and said, we're not going to keep subsidizing the world. And you take advantage of us on top of that. I just think it's phenomenal. Uh, Again, the best presidency that's ever occurred in my lifetime. 
Um, I got excited yesterday. I was out and around a little bit and uh, had on a Trump button, had a young lady come up to me and start a conversation. She's 17 years old. Mm-hmm. And she says, I was so excited to see your Trump button. It was a women for Trump button. You've seen me wear it. She says, you know, do you have another one? I'd love to wear it. I can't vote yet, but I so wish I could. And I'm telling all my friends. And I just thought that was phenomenal. I had a conversation. I asked her about it, and she said, of course, my family has shown me, and I have learned that what I'm learning in school is not what's really going on. It's not the truth. And I Wouldn't was just surprised. fired up. I mean, this was a total stranger. Walked up to me because she saw the button on my shirt. A teenager walked up to an old lady and started a conversation. It was phenomenal. There's a huge amount of hidden support. There's a huge amount of hidden support. Starting to see the signs pop up. I think everybody's going to wait. Well, you said it this morning. 70% of voters, was it, said they're going to try to watch tonight. Yep. But they, most of them do not think it will change their opinion. That's surprising in and of itself. Why would you watch if you don't <laughs> think it might change your opinion? I mean, I understand Trump people watch it because their opinion is that uh, Biden is a dope, all right? But the, the people who are Biden supporters, why would they watch him uh, if what he has to say isn't going to change your opinions whatsoever. I don't buy that. I think people still are, in many cases, there are a lot of people who haven't made up their mind yet. I think there's still all the, you know, we've always been told the independent group of voters is larger than either Democrats or Republicans. Mm-hmm. And you're not hearing that this cycle very much. I believe that the Democrat press is trying to pull in all the independents and sort of have them be part of their fold and pretend like they're already in, you know, the Democrats' uh, pocket for the ballot. And I don't agree with that as well. I don't either. What I, I think, think that they're losing independents left and right. That's what I think. Now, again, I spend a fair amount of time on social media because my work, (laughs) that's a whole conversation in and of itself. So I see a variety of different opinions because I'm doing a variety of different work. I I see a huge number every single day, and it's getting larger and larger, of people saying, you know, I didn't know or I didn't see or I didn't understand or a friend showed me this, that, or the other thing. I looked at it, and I'm going to vote for Trump. Um, I can only hope that that enthusiasm will carry us forward. All right. We got to get a break. Let's do that. It's the Dave Ellswick Show 6 o'clock segment. Hope you're enjoying it here at 101.1 FM. The answer. All right. Back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Elizabeth Olaro is with me. She handles all of my social media. Plus, uh, she's a part of my show on Tuesday. Uh very, very intelligent, articulate woman uh, who joins us weekly uh, to share her views with me here on uh, on the show. Let's uh, get back, and we've been talking about Amy uh, Barrett being the Supreme Court nominee. We got off of that just a little bit. I want to bring us back to it for this last segment before we get to the bottom of the hour, and the next hour we'll spend more time talking debate related uh, issues uh with that uh, in mind uh let's talk about amy it, it's amazing to me that uh, they go after uh, barrett about her uh catholicism asking if you know is she an orthodox catholic that's what durbin said and then of course uh, feinstein made the statement that uh, the dogma runs deep in this one, kind of her Yoda-esque 
uh, question uh, or statement uh, during the last hearing uh, to get her on the appellate courts. And uh, there's not a whole lot that they can bring up differently than they brought up three uh, three years ago uh, with this woman. But you can sense the venom uh, is much more pronounced and much more articulated and directed and the the hypocrisy of calling out Barrett for her Catholicism but in the same uh, ways don't call out Biden who says his Catholicism is what directs him to do the things and vote the way that he does and the same thing with Pelosi but that's okay because see they vote the lefty way so they, you they know. stay in line yeah no big deal you know as far as that where you know the idea that barrett actually does believe in the biblical admonition that the man is the head of the household although you got to understand what that biblical admonition means and that the press and the left have no idea what that means at all in her speech, when she accepted uh, Trump's nomination in the in the Rose Garden, she spent a fair amount of time talking about her husband, who you know, despite I think he's a lawyer, busy law practice. Yes, has she says taken over most of the load of running the household for a few years. They have a true partnership, biblical marriage, and she talked about it. You could see it. Uh, in her face, you could see it. In fact, one of the things I found, I didn't know much about her. I found this very um, attractive and appealing and something that I want to see those those values sitting on the Supreme Court. She, you know, she again, she praised him for his help and his work to raise their children together. And mm-hmm. these these values are just contrary to what the Democrats think about things. Um, I can't help but think of the difference in the value that she's expressing with her family and the values that are expressed by the left about abortion. Hunter, sorry, Joe Biden, up until the moment of birth. That's correct. Now, I mean, how could you be more opposite? And, uh, of course, they understand that they are going to lose their majority power play on the Supreme Court that they've worked so hard for how many years? Fifty, sixty years to get there. Well, that was the only they way they could get there. That was the only way they could get their agenda passed was through the court system. Power and play. Now there is a possibility, and I won't say it is a one hundred percent de facto, uh, you know, conservative stop. But because we've seen conservatives go off the reservation time or two Mm -hmm. Uh, and and the bottom line is uh, you know now it's the the right saying well we can play that game too oh absolutely i don't want to get off into the rabbit hole of all the judges and i believe it's four or five of the uh, circuit courts around the nation that trump has now managed to you know, uh, put conservative judges yes. on the bench because Obama left all these openings. And, you know, they want to make the left wants to make everything about a court case. Let's take it to court. Let's take the court. Well, the right in this case finally said, well, OK, let's play that game. And we're getting those conservative judges back into place that are going to rule according to the law, not the way you. Well, in other words, they're not going to be lawmakers up on the bench. Somebody said that the last little while. They don't want to be lawmakers on the bench. They're going to be judges. 
it's an it's an amazing thing, and it's where we should be by our founders. They are taking us down the wrong road. We don't need to be on, and we need to get it back. Yeah, we want judges to call balls and strikes. We don't want judges correct. who make the rules of the game. That's correct. I um, Again, I think they're becoming very desperate. I think they're in a very bad spot. I mean, they, they, it, they say it was a nonpartisan vote when she was put on the uh, circuit court, uh, appeals court three years ago. And yeah, they had three Democrats, okay? Three. So, yeah, I guess bipartisan. But two of those Democrats have already insisted now that they, you know, do not agree with the process. It's illegitimate. So no, we will not vote for her. And, you know, that's now, what just... has changed in three years? Nothing but their desperation. Well, what's changed is the lie that the left keeps perpetuating, which is a lie that a president should not nominate a Supreme Court nominee during uh, an election year that is just bogus it's a bogus bogus. totally bogus argument we'll talk more about it when we come back because this will be a part of the debate that will be discussed tonight Mm -hmm. i'm sure Mm -hmm. which is coming up in just a couple of hours right here on 101.1 fm the answer the debate starts at eight o'clock you can listen to it right here on the answer we continue the dave ellswick show here on 101.1 FM, the 6 o'clock hour, and this is starting to get to be, well, not starting to, it has developed into, it is now a don't-miss hour of my show because we really get into some some deep uh, discussions about uh, the topics of the day. So since the debate is coming up in just uh, a, a couple hours, hour and a half, in fact, uh, following when the show goes off and be an hour away, I wanted to talk a little bit about the debate and about what they're going to be discussing uh, tonight during debate. Uh, debate. Chris Wallace is going to be the moderator uh, from Fox News. Uh, and for you who are on the left, uh, that doesn't mean that you're going to get some uh, big deal uh, you know, you're going to get crushed because Chris Wallace is from Fox News. Uh, Chris Wallace is probably left of center, I would uh, s- say, than he is right of center. So it'd be a pretty, it'd be a good debate to, to say the least uh, uh, as the evening goes uh, on. All right, so let me uh, give you what I'm seeing they're going to talk about. I need to bring that up here with you. The topics. Well, you that can, look. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you can guess they're going to be talking about the violence. I've seen that already. Yeah, they're going to be talking about COVID and race. Got to talk about those things, and yeah, and the Supreme Court. <laughs> because Biden refuses. Here's Biden's argument. I'm not saying who I would nominate for the court because then everybody will talk about who I'm nominating for the court instead of talking about Donald Trump. Stupid argument, but an argument that he makes nonetheless. And uh, he's got a list, evidently, according to Dinesh, uh, that he's published of who he would nominate for the Supreme Court. He just won't say it. That's because we don't need, I mean, if we see that list, we're going to know everything we need to know about him. (laughs) As far as the Supreme Court goes, we can pretty much guess. Mm -hmm. The rumors are that. uh, Stacey Abrams, the uh, gal who still thinks that she won the 
governorship oh, Lord. way up on the list. Yeah. That's one of the rumors. Oh, my. And that would be a nightmare. You know, I mean, again, she's going around now. It's been a year and a half or two years since an election, and she still thinks she won. Well, she thinks we she's Hillary Clinton. Well, that's another thing. <laughs> she's deluded. I'm sorry. I, I think, again, I think she lives in a fake world where everything's different from the real facts. And I just, we just can't have that in our, in our government. Did you see, it's bad did you, enough as it is. Did you see Durbin uh, slapping down Hillary over the weekend about her her uh, statement she made several weeks back that never, ever, ever concede. Concede. And he said, that's BS. No, 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 no. That's not the way we do things. Oh, he actually chastised her? Yes, he did. He chastised her on talking heads. Well, isn't he one of the ones that doesn't want to meet with Judge Barrett because he doesn't agree with the process at this time? I mean, that's that's fine. How I mean, many sides of your mouth do you have? Sir? No, I don't think that he's talking out of any sides of his mouth. All he's he's saying that he doesn't believe that that uh, that the president should do that. I think constitutionally, he's a, a dumbbell for saying that. But still, you know, he's not saying that the that you should con- you should contest the results of an election. On and on and on and on. He's never said that. So I give him credit for that, at least. <laughs> well, and that's another one, you know, joining with Stacey Abrams, Hillary. They, again, continue on. But today it's about Judge Barrett. Um, again, many conservatives knew who she was, at least around the time. I know I didn't know who she was till around the time of the Kavanaugh nomination. But, of course, Trump said back then, I am saving her from Ruth Ginsburg. And that is exactly what he's done. Yeah. I don't think there was a, I mean, there was huge speculation last week. There was no surprise on my part. Well, I didn't think so either. But the day, you know, the day or so that Friday, Thursday, Friday, before we announced on Saturday, the comments from the left were, oh, my gosh, Trump is making a big mistake. And it, they couldn't really attack her yet. But what they said was, if he picks her, it's going to be a huge mistake because they used the talking point that he should have selected. Um, I can't say her name at the moment, La, not La Jolla, the, the Cuban gal from Florida. Yes. And they were saying, you know, if he picks Barrett over her, that's just going to be the biggest mistake because she Barrett cannot deliver the votes that the gal in Florida can. And I thought, well, doesn't that just tell you? That's why we should pick them. The way this works. <laughs> That's Thank why you. we should pick Thank her. you. <laughs> exactly right. I, I, I agree. I, see, I personally think that Amy Barrett is the most conservative justice that has been put up for the Supreme Court since Bork. Could be. Could be. And was it you? Did I hear you, you folks? Uh, if you are a fan of this type of talk, i got to throw this in really quickly. I heard it the other day. Bork. There's a book called Slouching Toward Gomorrah. Yeah, I, I mentioned it. Just, yeah, I mentioned that. It was yeah, written. We pulled it out and read it again the other day. It's, great book. You should do that. If you've got it on your shelf, you know someone, borrow it. It, it, it is just stunning. He was what right is, on. He was right on it. I mean, right on it. And how long ago? Yeah, well, so, that was written during, was that the late 80s that he wrote that or the early I 90s? I think. I am somewhere around that look. time. I'd have to look. <laughs> I, I would 80s, have to look. Maybe. But that's guessing. The, the way that, that's when the Supreme Court nomination or confirmation process in the Senate got to be so 
so disgusting and who was the person who who did the most of it and it was teddy kennedy teddy kennedy that's correct and you know again here we are again i understand why we need to have hearings it's appropriate for the public I just wish there was a way we could do it and exclude the Democrats from the room. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, all they're going to have out of these hearings is, you know, their their stage to do their protesting. Do you remember the banging on the doors and the shrieking and the laying down on the steps and all the hysterics over Kavanaugh? And I'm expecting some of that same well, sure. to start going on. I mean, so and it, all it's doing gonna, is giving them platform for it. The left is going to be, and they're not going to be able to help themselves. I, I, I started thinking, no, they won't do this because they know it will hurt Biden's no. candidacy. No, they no, don't. Have they're going to do what they do because they believe what they believe, and they're going to react like that woman driving her car. When she found out that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died and she was a hardcore lefty and she just went off the rails. Totally. She did. She lost it. That was she on, lost it. That was on my Facebook page. Look it up. Check it out. It's there. You can see it. It's crazy. She's banging but her it, head it, on it, the steering wheel. Yeah. She's screaming, you know, at the sky and all oh that stuff. Oh, my Lord. Can 2020 Lord. get any worse? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, I'm that just I'm just doing my. That was just me doing her. You know, <laughs> have, it was a good. Have you I seen mean, it, it Heidi? Good. Heidi, have you seen it? The the video. Oh, you got to see the video. It's a woman oh, yeah. who's driving down the road, and she was recording it, and uh, she found out that Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died, and oh, the world was coming to an end. Seriously, you would not believe it. You, you got to see it. It's it's incredible. Really, really is. It's really would, incredible. And I'm not saying that there's not people on the right that don't act that way at times because they do. But if you, if no matter what side you're on, if you act like that, you know, I doubt that you're a Christian because God's in control. Just keep that in mind. Right. And I don't think many of us are going to forget all the pictures that were in the media after Trump was elected of these hapless poor people who don't have anything better to hold on to in their world than a political party out in the street screaming at the sky oh yeah you know i mean good grief you know yeah <laughs> again they remind me so much of my grandkids all right they remind me so much of my grandkids when my grandkids decide to misbehave and they don't want to participate and they want to be difficult they get time out until they can act like civil human beings we do we do the same things we do the same things yeah listen we're getting down to where we're just a couple of minutes away from taking a break let me bring up one last thing, and I, this story still bothers me exceptionally, and that's the guy that's the head of the anti-racism group on Boston University or Boston College who said that Amy Barrett was a racist because she and her husband uh, adopted two children oh. from Haiti. That the reason that, that the reason that they did that was to placate, knowing that they were racist, so they could tell themselves that they weren't racist. And if you believe that, you're a nincompoop. All right, you, I mean, okay. just to draw yep. on an old old word, you're a nincompoop. <laughs> you got to twist yourself into a pretzel to come up with that sort of a logic. And I, I think it was was it Rob yesterday? Someone was. How did you bring someone into your home? spend all that time and effort raising a child, living with them in your home just for that reason? 
No. That's what a leftist would do. Yeah. Yeah. I really believe that. That's why they say these things. They are showing you and telling you who they are with every step along the way. Well, let's go back. You need to pay attention. We'll go back several weeks, and let me make this statement, and then we'll take a break. Projection. If you heard our show about projection, you understand exactly what we're saying. All right, the uh, presidential debate coming up in just over an hour. You hear it live right here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Final segment, final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, let's let's get to that because uh, you, you're going to want to hear about this. Uh, the Washington Times had a story calling a girl a boy throughout its story. And, and this was really, un, you know, irritating to me because the washington times typically plays this stuff pretty straight but they called a girl a boy throughout the story which caves to the new ap style book and the ap style book is the way you say things uh in uh in a news story it's to have some form of consistency across journalism for instance now you capitalize black and you also now capitalize white. They did change that uh, so that uh, both are capitalized. Anyway, the Minnesota Court of Appeals ruled against a school which was trying to keep boys uh, and girls separated as far as the uh, the locker rooms were concerned. And uh, I thought maybe we had gotten past this but because we got to go back to that supreme excuse me supreme court decision a few months back to understand why this is still alive and this is going to end up in front of the supreme court again and that's why trying to get somebody like amy barrett uh to the supreme court is really really important because i got to believe amy barrett does not believe uh, a boy can be a girl i mean jk rowling was uh and we were talking about this during the break she see the left has been after her and the left will always eat their own if you are not pure if you're not absolutely pure uh in your philosophy of leftism they will they will try to consume you and they've been after her because she had the audacity uh, when she saw an article uh, in a newspaper saying, talking about a man having a menstrual period, that she said BS. She called BS on it because <laughs> men don't have menstrual cycles. And uh, she made the statement that uh, being a woman is not just a costume, referring to men calling themselves women and dressing up with, as women and saying, now they're a woman or a woman dressing up like a man and that that makes her a man and then the people say well look that man had a baby no a woman who called herself a man had a baby men can't have babies doesn't work that way so anyway uh jk rowling has found out that the left eats their own uh very often but here we have an op uh, uh again the story coming up where a boy who says that he's a girl uh, is now, or a girl who says she's a boy, in fact, in this case, saying that she wants to use the boys' uh, restroom facilities and locker room. 
Now, it is never acceptable to have a third, a third of uh, bathroom that that's a generic bathroom that that's not acceptable because it's still calling and into question the difference they say of the person that's involved although when you go to some walmarts and some targets and other things they have and and uh, other businesses they have family bathrooms where women want to take their little boys in with them or Men take in their little girls or whatever uh, because they're not yeah they're not old enough yet to go in on their own and they don't want to go into the corresponding uh, you know bathroom uh, at at that time Uh, take a little boy into a girl's room or whatever so what but you're just go ahead the court says that they discriminate against a transgender child when you separate them from their peers and the peers that they define that way are your chosen sex not the one that you are that's right yeah you're chosen yeah because you're woke you woke up one morning and you became a girl and you're a boy or you became a boy because you're a girl i'm not saying that some people don't think that i'm not i don't downplay that part part but i do think that those are people that need to have uh therapy uh, because if if I had a friend that came over and said they thought they were a Studebaker and wanted to stand in the garage, I wouldn't mm-hmm. I wouldn't go out of my way to uh, to go along with them. I'd say, you know, you're not a Studebaker, man. You're not really a Studebaker. Where's your steering wheel or whatever? I mean, I'm just I'm just saying. But well, now, they take this. Go ahead. They're taking they're taking this transgender thing. The thing that got that got me going, and I won't get too far down the rabbit hole here. I got to get this straight in my head now. See, female biological females who call no, I've got it backwards. See, biological males who call themselves females are agitating in the workplace for ensuring that sanitary pads and tampons be available in bathrooms. Isn't that bizarre? We're, I it, can fi- it is more bizarre than I can even imagine, and they never dis- they never specified whether it was, <laughs> you know, the bathroom with the little boy picture on it or the bathroom with the little girl picture yeah. on it. I'm just saying, when I read that, I about lost my mind. It's mm. not possible for those people to have that need. <laughs> now, you're, now, see, here's the problem. You're starting to sound like J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I'll get myself in trouble, I bet. Yeah. K. Rowling says, see, a man can't have a period, and they attacked her over that and are still attacking her over it. This is crazy-making, all right? That's a psychological term, ha-ha. It's it's the same as gaslighting, okay? When you know what the facts are and everybody around you tries to tell you you don't know what you're seeing, what you know, and what you understand, it's a lie. It's a lie. (laughs) You know, when I start talking about this, I think from now on, I'm going to start playing They're Coming to Take Me Away. I, I think I'm going to start playing that song because it's the truth. It these is are crazy pe- making. These are people that are saying something that is absolutely not logical, that is completely insane, and we're saying that there's sanity to it. 
again, I have to take the side road, as you said a minute ago. There are people that have issues. We ought to take care of those people. We should not force them to have to do whatever. We should help them. But the one thing is that the whole of society should not have to dance to that tune. Again, those percentages are infinitesimal. And they, the left would prefer that the whole society dance to that tune. And that, you know, if you're going to say you're, you're, you're discriminating against this transgender child, one individual, what about, I don't know how many other people are in that school that are boys or girls. What about all of their rights? You Does know, it matter? I mean, uh, it doesn't it just, matter. And I'll, I'll tell you what, where else this leads. It leads to... Uh, uh, a, a, a discussion that's becoming more and more open now. It used to only be the man-child groups that would bring this up, and that well, is that pedophilia is just the way some people are born. Now, that's starting to that's starting to gain some traction mm-hmm. now in our society, where uh, an adult wanting to have sex with a child is no. just a way a person sees things. So yeah, how can okay. how yeah how can you say that that's wrong? And, and uh, there's some things, folks, and that, and this is because we're in a post-Christian society now. But there are some things that are flat out wrong. Period. It's wrong. It's it's not true. And uh, that, that of course, is one of them as well. I was talking about there are some males that have female children that believe it, it is up to them to teach them uh, b- about sex by having sex with their kids. That's wrong. That's that not so wrong. right. That's wrong. And as a society, we have the right to say it's wrong. Period. Point blank. No ifs, ands, buts spout it. Period. There have always been societies in history that have done things of that type, but they have never survived. It is not the right way for human beings to live good lives. It just will not work. We do. We, we have to protect our children. That's all there is to it. We must protect children. They are innocent. They depend on adults to get them, you know, to grow them up. And we are not doing a really good job of protecting them in that way. Elizabeth. Thanks for being with us today. We're out of time. <laughs> Enjoy. Thank you. Enjoy the uh, the debate. It's coming up in an hour right here on 101.1. Get your popcorn ready. Throw at the screen or whatever. It's Dave Ellswick's show. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Post-debate discussion all three, well, all two hours of the, of the uh, live show on the Dave Ellswick show starting at 6 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs>